So in the uh, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went off on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold, and look, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come now and share in your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, and I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. But look, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has been given more, they will be given more in abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. If I were to ask you to describe your life in just one word, what word would you you choose? Would it be busy? Hectic? Overwhelming? Or could any of us choose words like missional, purposeful, satisfying, fulfilling? The philosopher Plato once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. Have you ever asked yourself what your life is really all about? What makes you tick? What's my focus? My purpose? When you peel away the layers of my life and you get down to the core of me, who am I really? Well, good morning, y'all. I don't know about you, but After that last series, I'm ready just to chill out a little bit, take in a nice Bible story, drink my tea, talk a little bit. 
So here we go. So we're uh, starting a new series uh, today entitled uh, Describing the Indescribable. And it's really born out of some conversations that Jesus had over a three-year period of ministry where in the New Testament of the Bible, he's attempting to describe what the kingdom of heaven is really all about. And I'm guessing because there are no words seemingly to be able to describe it, that Jesus chooses to tell a series of stories as a way to paint a picture of what it may look like in an effort to describe the kingdom of heaven, which appears to be pretty indescribable. And so for the next several weeks, we're going to look at these stories, these word pictures that Jesus creates in an effort to better understand what the kingdom of heaven is all about, what God expects of us today in order that one day we may be able to be part of the kingdom of heaven when, when that day comes. And so uh, today, first up is the passage that I read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30, where Jesus tells the story that's known as uh, the parable of the bags of gold, which has evolved because when I was a kid, King James Version, it was called the Parable of the Talents. So if you know it like that, that's, that's the way we know it. But I'm going to change it again and evolve it again for our own practical purposes today. But So Jesus starts out and he says, look, the kingdom of heaven will be like a wealthy businessman. And the Bible refers to the wealthy businessman as the master um, that went away on an extended journey. And while he was gone... He decided that he needed somebody to manage his money, so he calls his employees together. Uh, the Bible refers to them as the servants. And he says, hey, while I'm away, I'm going to trust you guys with my money. I need you to take care of it. And so he places his some of his wealth into their hands. Now, for our purposes, I'm going to translate the bags of gold into good old American cash. And I'm going to say that he gave one guy 500 grand, he gave another guy 200 grand, and he gave the third guy 100 grand. And he gave each one, it says, an amount based on what he thought they were capable of handling. And after that, he, after that he distributed the money, each one to these three guys, he goes off on his trip, and it sounds like he goes away for a very long time. So as soon as the wealthy master leaves, the guy with 500 grand right away begins to put that money to work. We don't know exactly what he did, but whatever it was, like it worked because he didn't get just a good rate of return. He got a great rate of return, and he doubled the money and he took that 500 grand and turned it into a million bucks. Pretty great, right? So the servant who had 200 grand, he went out, he did the same thing. He invested the 200 grand in some venture and he doubled the money that was entrusted to him as well. So it certainly appears that these guys took very seriously what 
they were entrusted with and did the work that it took to invest in ventures and put that money to work in ventures that really began to pay off. And I couldn't help but make a connection uh, this last week. Did you guys hear about um, St. Francis High School out in California this week? Pretty incredible story, right? So St. Francis is a private school out in the Bay Area. Five years ago, they had an investment uh, return of $15,000 that they had put out like 10 years before, and they'd made $15,000 in this investment. So they decided that they were going to invest five years ago in something else. So they take this $15,000 and they invest in shares of a little-known company called Snapchat. Which, for those of you who don't have teenagers, uh, Snapchat is like a very popular uh, messaging app uh, for teens. And quite frankly, I see parents using it just as much as teens these days. So, uh, but the school gets the bright idea to invest in this then unknown uh, company from a parent who's hanging out at his house and his daughter and all of her friends are over and they're like completely enthralled with this app. And he asks, you know, what it is. And of course, her response is, Dad, like everybody's doing it, you know. And so he gets this idea of investing in Snapchat. Well, Friday, two days ago, Snapchat goes public, right? And so the school decided to sell two-thirds of that investment that they purchased for $15,000 to just two-thirds of it. And they made $24 million. <laughs> Isn't that incredible? I mean, the, 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 the quote from the executive director is, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no joke. So that when they were asked about what they were going to do with the money, they said, we're going to make tuition a little more affordable <laughs> for the kids. It's real big of you. And they're going to retain the best teachers by giving them great salaries. So all the teachers in the room, www.stfrancisschool.com. Yeah. But, I mean, isn't an incredible example of how they just took this little thing, this little $15,000, and turned it into something amazing, which I really think is the whole point of this story. So... We all have a certain amount of God-given uh, talents and gifts and the way that God created us, our personality, that which makes us tick. We have uh, a certain amount of money. We have uh, abilities. We have time. And we can either choose to use the things that we have been entrusted by God with to either invest or not invest in the limited time that we have here in this world. And what we do with our life, what we do with what has been entrusted to us is the ultimate choice that God has left up to us to determine. He's not dictating how you should use your gifts and abilities or money or any of that. He leaves it up to us to figure it out. And it certainly seems from the first two servants in the story that they made some great investments. You know, they did like a Snapchat thing and they, you know, they doubled their money. But then there was this third guy. And this third guy, he gets the hundred grand. Now, granted, 
it's the smallest amount of money of the three, right? But you have to wonder, you know, why? Why is this guy doing what he's doing? And, and that being said, you know, 100 grand is nothing to sneeze at. But whatever is the case, instead of going out and putting that money to work, this servant didn't feel like messing with it or he really was just too lazy to work or whatever it was. He digs a hole in the ground. He plays it safe and he buries his master's money. And you find, your ask, you find yourself asking, why did the other two servants do so great? Right? Why were they working so diligently and investing so wisely? And this one guy refused to do anything with the money and just hid it in the ground. I mean, maybe he feels resentful, right? Maybe he's like, those guys got so much more money than I did, and he feels resentful that he only got 100 grand. Maybe he's jealous that they got so much more than he did. Maybe he feels like the 100 grand, you know, I can't even do anything with that. It's such a small amount of money. I don't know. But instead of being grateful for what has been entrusted to him, he just goes out and buries the money and forgets all about it for a very, very long time, apparently. Whatever it is, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven will be like that day when the master finally returns. We have a very clear picture, a point in time, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven will be like when the master returns. And he calls his servants together to settle up what they had accomplished while he was away. I'm no Bible scholar, but my guess is he's talking about Judgment Day here. And he calls in the first servant, who is obviously very excited to give his report about his investment. And you can almost feel him like jumping up and down and saying, Hey, Master, you trusted me with 500 grand. He says, Look, I doubled your money and now it's a million bucks. Here it is. Boom. And the Master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've done a great job. And by the way, the million dollars is nothing compared to the great wealth that I'm now going to put you in charge of. I entrusted you with a little, but now I'm going to give you so much more. Come now and share in my wealth and happiness. Second guy, boom, did the same thing. He runs into the room, says, you gave me 200 grand. I went out and I doubled your money. Master, look, here it is. The master says, with great joy, well done, my good and faithful servant. I put you in charge of a little, and now I'm going to put you in charge of so much more. I'm going to entrust you with so much money, it's going to make that 400 grand look like petty cash. Come now and share in my wealth and happiness. Both of these men had proven themselves to be faithful even while their master was away for such a long period of time and so they celebrated the success of each other's accomplishments as they received this incredible reward but then there was this third servant dun, dun, dun. he's probably heard through the grapevine by now how incredible his peers had done with their money and i would bet he's getting a little nervous and so he comes in, and right away when he walks into the room, he's already making excuses, right? 
Master, I know that you're a hard man. I know that you have high standards. Or, and I, so I was afraid. I didn't want to disappoint you. And so I hid that money you gave me in the ground. And he tries to give the situation a positive spin. And he says, look, you gave me 100 grand. And look, here it is. I haven't lost a penny. It certainly appears that this guy now knows that he has screwed up. But it's a little too late. And you wonder, was it just his laziness? Too busy from taking care of his own life and doing the daily grind that he just didn't have time to to mess with it? I mean... Could it have been fear that he was really that afraid of losing the money and so he just decides to play it safe? I don't know, but I can tell you that I don't like what comes next when Jesus says that his master was furious with this guy. And he says, you wicked and lazy servant. So you think you know me and what kind of man I am. If you knew me so well, then you would have known that at the minimum, I'd want you to at least take that money, deposit it at the bank, where I could at least have earned interest over all of these years while I was away. But you were too lazy to even do that. The master was obviously not buying his excuses, and so he says, take that hundred grand from this lazy servant and give it to the one who has a million. For everyone who has been faithful with what they have, they will be given more. But for those who have not been faithful with what they have been given, it will, they will not only get more, it will all be stripped away from them. Now take this lazy servant and throw him out into the darkness. Which the story implies that this man is being thrown out of the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. I mean, you hear that story and you go, man, why is, it, why is it so uptight? You know? Why is it being so hard on this guy? I mean, it could have been worse. He, he could have lost it. Could have stolen it. At least this master got his money back, right? I mean, the fact of it is, I think, that the servant wasn't really interested in working for the master at all. He wasn't really interested in taking care of the master's assets. He wasn't really taking care of making sure that the master was taken care of. He was only interested in his own self-interest and building his own life, covering his own rear from any liability. So he makes the minimal effort possible. He digs a hole, buries the money, and he returns it, and he thought, He was covered, but he wasn't, because that wasn't the point. Even if, I think, this is my opinion, even if the servant had gone out and worked and tried to invest that money and lost some of that money, I think that the master would have still accepted him because he was at least out working, trying to do something. But the master really had no tolerance for this guy's laziness and certainly no tolerance for his weak excuses. And so instead of joining the others and sharing in the celebration of the wealth and success of their master, this lazy servant got kicked out.
Can you find yourself in that story at all? How, how blessed do you think you are? 500 grand worth? A couple hundred? Maybe just 50? Have you kind of just evaluated, like, who you are and what you have and what your ability is to do something? It certainly appears that we were all created for something, right? And, and Jesus uses this story as a metaphor to talk about how we choose to invest what we have in the stuff of God, in the kingdom of God, or not. God created us all with a certain amount of capacity that we can invest. And he does not dictate how we use what it is that we have been given. He just entrusts us with the things that we were created, that each of us has an opportunity at our own, in our own life, at our own level, to do something. And I think that whatever each one of us has is quite different than anybody else. Mine is different than yours. Yours is different than yours. However, in no case does he expect any less of any one of us than anybody else. It, it certainly seems to me from what we read in this story that it's kind of no free ride through this life. We were all created by God with a unique set of, like I said, gifts and abilities and talents and personality and money and time. And God expects us to use that fully to live in him and to use those gifts and abilities only for our own self-interest, to build our own life, to build our own financial security, to build our own family, or to then just take and bury those gifts because we don't feel good about our gifts and so we bury them in our own insecurities or lack of worthiness to the point that they're not used at all goes against what God expects of us. The point is that not only is stuff like stealing and lying wrong in the eyes of God, it is also equally as wrong for us not to use what God has entrusted in our lives. I have to tell you that my life has certainly not played out like I imagined that it would. I, I, I thought uh, from the time that I was six that I was going to grow up and be a bald-headed preacher just like my daddy. And I think the bald-headed part is probably still inevitable. Um, but, I mean, we grew up poor. We grew up on Hamburger Helper most of the time. Remember that stuff? That's some nasty stuff. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in an inner-city school. In fact, my school was, my school was featured in a... Uh, Documentary from, if you've ever seen Freakonomics, my school is like featured as the, the worst inner city school in Chicago. Like I have a pretty dicey education. I'm not really a smart guy, for sure. And 
you know, I anticipated that I would grow up in the, and be in the full-time ministry, and that's what I would do. But now everything has changed where, like, now I'm the owner of this very successful real estate development company. I got to tell you, it's weird. It's like somebody crossed a wire and, like, somebody screwed up up there, and I got somebody else's life because for the amount that I am, you know, blessed as a person of means and, and resources, um, it's, it's foreign to me, and it, it's uh, a little daunting. And I was all of a sudden then faced with, how am I going to play this out, right? How am I going to do what I know that I think that God wants me to do, but how am I going to take and leverage off of the way that I've been blessed and really not squander the opportunities and the resources that God has given me. And there was a point where I came to a crossroads where, you know, I could have um, made a decision to put 100% of my focus into my business and, you know, kind of put my head down and really decided that my business was going to consume my life and grow it as big as I possibly could, and that becomes my entire focus. Um, my, my business partner really helped me to, to back out of that mindset and to really kind of just take an objective look. And about uh, five years ago, there was like this big kind of aha moment where, you know, I thought, okay, you know, I can really step up my opportunity and what I'm doing in the church at Westridge without taking a salary and no money from the church and do what I do. And we can do this thing, and my wife and I do this thing in Nicaragua and really make a difference there and look at what I can do with, we, with the employees that we have and make a difference in the lives of, of our employees and, and to take all of my time and my money and my personality and my resources and see how I can best make a difference. And I can tell you that there's not a time when I'm getting ready to close a deal where we're going to monetize something, and I'm looking at how I can use that money either at Westridge or in Nicaragua to make a difference. Or when I have find that I have some discretionary time, how I can use that time to do something to make a difference. And uh, I, I don't say all of that to draw attention to what I'm doing. I say all that to say, if I can do that, like anybody can do that. <laughs> Because I didn't grow up with any resources or money or education at all. You know, I, I, it was no advantage. And so, you know, when people say, well, you do that thing because that's you, but that's not true. Like any of us, we're all in the same boat. And I've been entrusted with things that are different than what you've been entrusted with. So while I may be able to get up here and, you know, speak, you may think about public speaking and it scares the bejeebers out of you. Right, but you may be able to repair a furnace or to do accounting, and quite frankly, that scares the bejeebers out of me. I can't do any of that stuff. But it, it's it's figuring out like what you have and your gifts and your talents and your personality and and what God has entrusted you with and how you're going to use it. And it's getting past any resentment of. I don't have what they have, or my gifts aren't as flashy as, you know, Michael's, who's incredible on music. I'd love to be able to do that thing, right? Everybody would. But mine's not as flashy as that. 
Not that Michael's flashy by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> but, you know, we tend to get resentful and jealous that I don't have what they have, right? Or my gifts aren't as big as their gifts or as great as their gifts. And so we're like the guy with the hundred grand. And we're looking at, our, at what we've been entrusted with and, and we just go out and bury it, Right? And, and I would, I'd be willing to say that most of us bury it. Most of us are burying it. We're not capitalizing it. We're not leveraging it. We're not doing what God is asking us to do. And, and I can also tell you that from my, I can attest this from my own personal experience in my life, that when that scripture talks about, you know, if he gives you more and you use it wisely, that he'll give you more. And I can just tell you that you get more and more opportunity. The more that you serve God and you use your abilities to serve God, even in the smallest ways, you get more opportunity, more responsibility. You feel the weight more of being able to do more. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, does that make you tired? Like, because you can't fit another thing into your day? Or does it scare you? to have that kind of responsibility. So are we just going to play it safe and are we just going to bury the hundred grand? Are we just going to bury what God has entrusted to us? Are we really going to like dig that up finally and go do something with it? Because this is a picture of the kingdom of heaven. This is a picture of judgment day. I mean, if you have to ask yourself, what is it that I believe about this Christianity thing? And if we really believe you know what the Bible teaches then what the Bible asks us to do is to live differently to rise above the level of mediocrity to rise above a life of normality and live counterculturally where everybody else is trying to take more and to accumulate more but we're trying to give more that we choose to live differently if you believe in this Christianity thing and you believe in what is written in the pages of the Bible then you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there will come a day when the master returns that there will come a day when we will stand before Jesus and he's going to look us right in the eye and he's going to ask what have you done? What have you done with what I have entrusted you with? And on that day, I want to be able to stand up and say, I stinking doubled it. Here it is. And on that day, I want to hear the words that every follower of Jesus wants to hear on that day. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant.